so week nine. So last week we looked at um, uh, at this at this this expository uh, method of teaching, and we, we reminded ourselves what that is. And then we were taking a look at, at what John so far has been talking about in, in this letter. It's an epistle. And we saw that, that uh, this letter really is a letter of both proclamation and warning, right? <coughs> so there are a lot of proclamations and a lot of warnings. Um, and and, and what, what is, what's the theme? What's the main theme of the proclamation? What is, what is John proclaiming in these first couple of chapters of this of this book, which is really a letter that's called an epistle. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay. And that he had seen and heard it. So we're talking about him with a tremendous amount of authority, remember, because we're transporting ourselves back to the first century and they were taking a look at this letter and, and he was reminding them, of course, that he had been with Jesus and, and over and over again so far in this letter, he is saying, remember what you heard from the beginning. And, of course, there is also an inference whenever he says that, that remembering what you had heard from the beginning is really the basis of the teaching that, be careful because there are some that forgot. There was always that inference. And so he's talking about authority. He's talking about love. He's talking about, about uh, uh, who Jesus is. And he's also been... Uh, proclaiming that there is such a thing as what? Light and darkness. and darkness. And so what was the impetus? And then we'll jump right in. What was the impetus for this letter? Why did he write this letter? God is alive and in him there is no darkness at all. Absolutely. That's what he's proclaiming. But what was the impetus for him to even write that to? False teachers. Okay. So the impetus was is that there was some correction that needed to take place. I, I love that because Scripture is great. I don't know when you're reading Scripture or if you're at a particular place in your life and your walk with the Lord and you're reading Scripture and something just hits you like a ton of bricks where you're all of a sudden being corrected. Hmm. That's what he's doing. There is some correction that is taking place there. So let's open up to First John, the third, the third chapter. We left off last time at the sixth verse, First John three six. And even though we discussed it a little bit, I want to start right there. It's a good starting point. So somebody just read that first verse, First John three six. Go ahead, Susan. You're always looking at me like that. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. What's he saying? If you don't change your ways, you continue to go sinning, sin. you can't really know Jesus. So, Susan said that what he's saying is that if you continue in your sin, that there's no way that you could have, you could have known Jesus, you don't know him. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. okay. That's what I said. All right. And so, uh, how does that relate to what John has been talking about in terms of the two camps? There are two camps that he's talking about here. The camp of being in the light and the camp of being in darkness. I mean, there's no, there was no middle room, no gray area, no nothing. It was black or white, according to John. He said that Remember what he said? What, what, what did he tell the church in this letter 
why was there a difference between light and darkness? What did he say about those people that were in the church that had left? Yeah, he said, he said the reason they left is because of this false teaching that we now know it was the beginning of Gnosticism, but we, but, but they didn't know that. All they, all they knew is that there was this teaching that was going on that was, that was false and it had not been what they had been told from the very beginning. It came with no authority whatsoever. So people without authority came and he said, they're in the darkness. Pretty powerful words and pretty powerful imagery when he says that they're in the darkness because it goes beyond imagery, doesn't it? And so, what does being in the darkness mean? Being away from God. Completely separated from God. Yeah, because you see, they were denying Jesus, weren't they? And we're going to see this again because it's a theme that comes up over and over. So, they were denying Jesus, and that, that denial was based on the fact that they said which is the other big theme in this letter, what did they say? We don't sin. That's what, they, that's what they were telling the church. So imagine somebody comes in and they're teaching on a Wednesday night and say, oh yeah, no, no, we don't sin. And the reason that we don't sin is because God could care less what we do in the flesh. It's not important because Jesus never came in the flesh, you see. That's what they said. And so when they said that, then John, of course, got that word. And I can just imagine John, you know, he's the apostle of love. And he just loved the church. He loved these people. And he, he was just such a, oh, I mean, he was like a, this guy was a real shepherd, wasn't he? He just, he's, he was just filled with love. And I, he had to have just been heartbroken. And I don't know how long it took when, after he got this, the word that this teaching was taking place in the church. But people had separated and then he just said, well, those that separated, they, the reason they left us there in the darkness, they never were of us. We would say they were never saved. That's, by today's standards, in our culture, there would be all kinds of things said about y'all if you used that language. But here it is in the first century. He just called it the way it was. I mean, you're in the light or you're in the darkness. That's just the way it is. And so, so now he's saying that it, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And we, we looked last week at the fact that, that, and we had concluded that this sinning that he was talking about, about was not the sin that you and I committed today. Not that sin. He was talking about that willful, repetitive, present tense, continuing. That's the word. Continuing, continuing. It denotes really this, this, this present tenseness of continuing in in a, in a behavior that would be uh, inconsistent with what they had been taught from the beginning. Because Jesus is the one that, that would have called out sin, right? And so, so that's, what we, that's what we looked at and that's what we decided. But on what basis did we conclude that it was the ongoingness of sin, that willful sin? What, on, on what basis did we make that determination before we, before we move forward? Because remember the context. He was calling people out for what they were teaching and therefore what they were doing because then there was behavior associated with that false teaching, wasn't there? Hey, we don't sin. Remember, it was a license to do whatever they wanted to because remember what was happening? There was a lot of paganism at the time and so they just wanted to behave the way they wanted to behave, this was a really easy, pretty clean 
justification for just doing whatever they darn well pleased, right? It was a betrayal. Right. It was, it was really about their, uh, about, uh, it was a pretty horrific lifestyle by virtue of the standard that God had set, right? So, so the context is, is that they're not of them. These teachers were actually teaching that, that, that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. There was a full denial of Jesus. Okay? So they denied Christ in the flesh. But as we discern what they were trying to figure out here, remember, they're the first century. They, didn't, they, didn't, they couldn't pick this up and go to 1 John. John. Or even, the, even John's second epistle. They couldn't go there because it hadn't been written yet. Okay? So, so we still think like, a, like you know, we're 20 odd centuries uh, you know, advanced. They didn't have that. So, but they had John. But they had John. <laughs> but they had John. <coughs> Interesting. But what would we do? I mean, if, if, you, if you were in the first century and you were reading this letter, okay, there's the scroll and the scribe gets up and he starts to read this letter and he says, no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And you're sitting here in the pew in the first century and you're thinking, uh-oh. But about those thoughts I had today? What about those things I did today? What about the things I didn't do today? <laughs> what would you do with that? What would you do with that statement of his? Why not? And it's in the second chapter, it says, um, I write this to you Perfect. And that's exactly what they would have had to do. They would have had to look at this letter and look through the letter and see what is being conveyed by the writer of this letter, John, who had the authority, who they had respect for, who they knew, who they knew completely. Uh, I mean, they, they, were, they, were, they were completely comfortable with who John was. And so they have his letter and that's what they have. And he had already communicated this, but he's going to do it again. The thing I love about these epistles of John, the thing is, is that he keeps it pretty simple and he states it over and over and over. He even does it a couple of different ways. And he's really trying to convey these basic points and he doesn't want them to miss it. So all we have to do is we could have gone back and we could have said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's read this again because that was too fast. I didn't catch it all. Or we could just keep reading because he's going to say it again. <coughs> so let's go to verses 7 and 8. Dear children... Do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now there's a popular 21st century <laughs> message. 
The devil made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, here we are. We're just reading a little bit further into John. Just, just in, the, in the previous sentence, he just said, Hey, you know, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. I would have probably thought, had I not read closely the beginning of that letter, or had I been putting too much thought into maybe thinking before I heard him finish his thought, I would have been thinking, but wait a minute, is that me? No one continues to sin. No one that continues to sin has either seen him or, 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 or knows him. I might have been concerned that that was me. If I was honest with myself, knowing that you know all have sinned. Uh, but no, he says, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. I like the New Living Translation that says, dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. Hmm. Don't let anyone... And it's dear children again. Notice that? Mm -hmm. You see the heart coming out? Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. Continuing in the New Living Translation. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous. Even as Christ is righteous. When people do what is right. Well, let's circle back in that for just a second because then all of a sudden we've got to figure out what's right. But he says, even when they do what is right, they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. Verse 8. But when people keep on sinning, there's the continuousness of it, right? And so it's continuing. It's present tense. It says it shows that they... I like this translation. It doesn't... Because the NIV says it, 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 uh, he who does what is sinful is of the devil. The New Living Translation says... Those the people that keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. I like this, though. I always underline the buts and the therefores. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. You see, there's, there's the positiveness to this very negative message, isn't it? It's an incredibly negative message. So we see that Jesus wins, but John, you know, does he answer the question? Does he answer the question about that one about, you know, no one who comes or who, who continues in the present tense, continues to sin, has either seen him or, or known him? Do, do these two verses answer that question? Yeah. How? Well, he says, if you, can, if you do what you <coughs> you're righteous just as Christ is righteous. But if you continue to sin, you're of the devil. So again, you're either the light or the darkness. Okay, there's a contrast. See, all through the epistle here, we see these contrasts. Light, dark, sin, righteousness. I love that. Love, hate. Because earlier he said, as Kathy well pointed out, if we just read the first part of the letter, and the first thing he said was, is, you, you can't be in the light and hate your brother. They were never of us. The inference was, of course, that they were saying that, hey, Jesus never came in the flesh, and we don't sin anyway, and because we couldn't sin, because Jesus didn't come in the flesh, God doesn't care about the flesh. What we do in the flesh is immaterial, not important. And by the way, I hate you. <laughs> what? That's what they said. And John's saying, no, the contrast is love and hate. You can't say that you hate a brother. Because we've seen and we'll see again. He's going to say it again more than once in this epistle. If you 
hate, that's murder. And you are in the darkness. Powerful, powerful words. It's not even imagery. It's just like, bam! It's powerful words. He's reiterating it too, because the next two verses he, again. Again, and again, and again. So you see, he says, if you keep on sinning, that's a way of life. Okay? That's not your one-off. What's the difference, by the way, between that, that the perpetualness of continuing to sin, being in a lifestyle of sin, and, uh, because remember, uh, these people that were not of them, that John called out, he said, no, they're in the darkness. They, they said they didn't sin. But, of course, it was just the opposite. That's exactly what they were doing. They were sinning. So, if you keep on sinning, which is a way of life, it's really a state of being, isn't it? So, um, what's the difference between that and just, just your old, your old, regular, run-of-the-mill sin? Hmm? Heart. Okay. Well, one of the major things that he's really pushing is to accept Jesus. What? Accept Jesus. Oh, well. And forgiveness. Because a lot of people that continue to sin, some would repent and some would just keep going. Yeah, and we're going to see that. We're going to see that later. He hasn't gotten to that at, at this point in his letter yet. But what he is saying is, is that there is clearly a difference between sin and sinning. And so, and 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 we and we discovered that, and we see that throughout Scripture. Okay, so that's pretty clear, right? I mean, we're clear on that. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, we certainly should be. And so, so what are your thoughts? Just, just general thoughts before we uh, before we move forward here on just the. I mean, you're because we go back and forth. You know, we like to look at this from a first century Christian point of view. Okay, fellowship of believers in the first century. They're trying to figure it out. I mean, there's a lot going on. It's all new. We have the, we have all of this history. We have so many advantages. Don't we over what they had um, in at least at least written, at least written. Um, and so, what are your thoughts as you sit here today in the 21st century about this 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 language that he's using in this letter? That's it's hard, isn't it? What, what, what are your thoughts about that? Nothing new under the sun. Okay, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, scripture says you can't serve two masters. Okay. Would you use this language in the appropriate setting, in the right context? Oh, it's not PC. Sure. <laughs> sure, and it's not PC. Okay, so there's a little contrast there. You might get yourself in trouble now, Dave. And how well, might you try to lead someone to the Lord? Yeah, he would. So there's a big chunk of the quote-unquote church out there today that they think that it's okay to do whatever they want to do, and they Jesus would let them because Jesus loved everybody. Okay, so you're talking about inside the church, but you're right. talking about outside the church. Okay, now let's 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 reel it in just a little bit farther. Let's talk about outside the church for a moment. Would you use this language, these words, in these types of terms? Um, with people outside the church, unbelievers, the the unregenerate, if you will. I think so. You think so? You would even. I think you'd even use it with uh, uh, believers. 
So, so you don't have a you don't have an issue. Um, anyone else? I don't, I don't think I I tell them they're of the devil if, if they're not a believer. Mm. I mean that would just because they can tell. I mean they're good and happy. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so they they wouldn't think they'd really be offended. I'm sure it would be a turn off. Mm. I think that's what I think. Wow, that's a good point. But if there's no devil, why do we need a crash? I, think I don't think, I didn't hear her say there isn't a devil. No, no, she said to, to use it. Oh, okay. To, to say something. Okay. It might depend on how you know, closely it's, you're saying. Like, uh, saying someone's going to go to hell, and you mm-hmm. don't want to use the word hell because it might offend them or, or <coughs> something. But the truth is the truth. <coughs> okay, that's my point. The truth is the truth. So here we are. John is just writing a letter. Now, who's his audience? Believers. Okay, but who else might have been in receipt of this letter that might have been sitting in a place like this in the first century that was listening to it? The ones transitioning. Yeah, the ones that maybe hadn't left yet. Right, right. They were mulling it over. They were mulling it over. They're trying to think about, okay, well, wait a minute, you know? I mean, Billy Bob, Mary Sue, they let, you know... They left with Joe because Joe was teaching that, you know, that we can do whatever we want because we're not sinning because, you know, there's this there's this whole Gnostic thought about you know, about the flesh. You know, Jesus never came in the flesh. And so God doesn't care about the flesh. So you can do anything you want in the flesh and it doesn't matter. God's not concerned about the flesh. And so John comes along and says, yeah, but if you continue to do that, you belong to the devil. But they even have teachings today in the church in some churches that once you accept Jesus, um, you can do kind of whatever you want because you have Jesus. Hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. It's started to like some words that don't, don't test him in this stuff. But okay. There's all kinds of teaching in all kinds of churches and all kinds of in all kinds of venues uh, all around the world. The question is, would you use this language? Yes. Okay. So hmm. you said the truth is the truth. The truth yes, is true. Well, if those people were in the congregation, they mm-hmm. they believe that they're believers. They believe that they're believers. Okay. Oh, good point. Okay. Let's go down that road for just a second. So in the congregation, here they are, and there has been this false teaching. Now, there's been a church split. Mm-hmm. They left. Mm-hmm. Nobody got it. But John comes along and says, guys... The reason that they left, and then he describes why they left. They were never of us. Not only were they not of us, they're in the darkness, and they're of the devil. Okay, honestly, when was the last time you heard that taught in a church? Okay, exclude this one. Okay, I mean, 
the, the point of that is, is that is that it's truth. So we're we're agreeing that it's truth. And I, I find it just fascinating as I think through and I meditate on what God's word says. The words that are actually used, you know, they're and, and we've had to translate them into our language. And when you look at them from the original language, frankly, in the original language, it was much more harsh than what we even see here. Because of the words and what they really mean. They're deeper, richer, more profound. In a lot of ways, they're just more beautiful, frankly, than what we get in the English. And yet nobody here is feeling all that comfortable, except Steve, about using <laughs> you know, that powerful language. But, and, 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 and Murph, maybe. Because why? It's, it's, it's true. It's painful. I think some of the strongest language that Jesus used and Paul used and now I see John is toward, um, you know, like the Pharisees and, and now these false teachers. It's the people who think they're of God and not. So that's the strongest language that's used. Um, but even Paul, you know, when he went to Athens, said, you know, he said, well, you know, here's, here you have a statue of an unknown God. So he was trying to relate to them, I think, on a little different level um, for them to understand that. But I think the harshest language was people who think they're some, you know, like a Pharisee, think they're righteous and they're really not. Yes. Yeah, that is interesting because. I, I concur. The, the language that he used, and that, that you can almost, in some ways, you can almost sense the angst that Jesus had because because of their holierness than yeah. thou approach to almost everything, right? You know, and of course, you know, Jesus came, and then what is the what was the first thing that the Pharisees did when they found out that he was hanging out with sinners? I mean, they leveled him, they blasted him, mm-hmm. right? And he had a, he had some pretty strong things to say about that, but. We we digress. Um, uh, uh, turn to turn to uh, John, as long as we're not First John, but John. Turn to John chapter fourteen. Because as we look through Scripture and as we cross reference these things, you know, Scripture will always speak to itself. It doesn't contradict itself. It always speaks to itself. So John 14, verse 23 and 24. Go ahead, NIV. Okay. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Anybody see the authority there? Like in red lights flashing. There's like red lights flashing in, in authority. And I think that relates so much to what, what John is. Because I wonder sometimes, because, you know, John, was he, what was he thinking? John was John. And, you know, he, he wrote the Gospel of John. And, and he's writing these epistles. And, and uh, I'm, you know, I, just, I don't know what he was thinking. I only know what he wrote. Because that's what we have. But I'm, I'm looking here at this at this authority, and, and in the New Living Translation again, which is which is what I'm using a little bit more lately, uh, is Jesus replied, "All who love me will do what I say." He's talking about the people in the light, isn't he? Mm-hmm. They're just going to do what I say. There's an obedience thing, and it's that Jesus has the authority. They make it's a decision, isn't it? 
They've just decided to do what Jesus said because they want to follow him. Follow me, he said. So that's what they're doing. And then he says, my father will love them and we. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a lot of theology going on here. Then the, and then we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't, now he, t- he turns the, the page, doesn't he? And he just flips it around. Here's another contrast. John's a great contraster. He says, so anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. So it's just a decision to sin then, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's just a decision. Diana said it's a heart issue. And then it comes with a decision. They're just deciding. They're just deciding. And so the, these people were in this church and they were following false teachers. John's calling them out. Some of them had to make a decision. And it's interesting to me that they made the decision to follow the false teachers out of a heart condition that was not right. It was their choice, their decision based on no authority. There was no authority. The teachers that were teaching had no authority. Where were they going to go for authority? What were they? It was just somebody. Where did that come from? Where did that teaching come from? But where did it come from? Okay, because what? It shows that they belong to the devil or that they are of the devil. What does that mean? We're reading it, but in an expository way, what we have to do is we have to try to figure out what this means. Because I see what it says. It says that in the New Living Translation, the people that are keeping, they keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil. And in the NIV, it says, he who does what is sinful is of the devil. Um, it's the same thing, same thought. They what does it mean? They were never Christians to begin with. What? It's just okay. saying that, that they're, to me, it's, it's, I, I always hear the few things and things like that is, is, is they talk about sin, and it's also like a question are you going to accept Jesus? So the people that decide they want to keep sinning are actually saying, I deny Christ. I don't want to accept that he's the Son of God. Yeah, without a doubt, that was the impetus for the whole letter here. No question about that here. Yes, they are denying Christ. But And the question remains, though, what does it mean um, that that uh, that you are of the, of the devil or that you belong to the devil? Two different translations here, both of them very accurate and very good, thought for thought. And it says that if you're going to continue to sin and it's willful and that's your heart, and, and that's the issue, and that you are of the devil. And so, what, what, does, what does being of the devil... You're being led by the devil. Okay, it means you're being led by the devil. Anyone else? You're separated from God. You're separated from God. You've made a choice to follow... Okay, to follow... Take this character from the devil. Okay, taking on the character of the devil. What does that remind you of? Huh? There's a contrast. Okay. Well, I find it interesting because if you look at this language, it's really kind of familial language. He talks about it being you belong to. Because prior to that, prior to that, if you look in the first couple of verses, now this was a letter. They didn't have chapters and verses in the first century. It was a letter, like we would write a letter or read a letter today. But note what it doesn't say. John does not say that those who continue to sin are born of the devil. He doesn't say that. What does he say? 
They're, okay, they're following. They're of? Of the. Of the belong to. Of the belong to. Okay. It's really interesting because, you, as you pointed out, so if you're of the devil, that means that you're not of Christ. And so if you're not of Christ, what, that means that you've chosen what? The devil. You've chosen the devil. And so by, by nature of that choice, I mean, really, uh, I mean, you, you've chosen this animosity towards God, haven't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what's going on. It was then, and it is now. Okay. Yeah. So they are of the devil by virtue of their denial of Christ. It's that simple. And John, I think, makes it clear that they're just choosing the darkness, aren't they? Right. Because there's evil in sin. Yes. There is evil in sin, especially unrepentant, continuous. Habitual, by choice, I don't give a rip type of sin. Right? Right. So, if believers sin, and John says very clearly that we all do, back, I got his point originally, back to 1 John um, uh, uh, chapter 1, 8 and 10, it says that, it says that, hey, we're sinners. I love that. John reminds them, hey, we're sinners. (laughs) Just a reminder to start this letter off. So he says, hey, we're sinners. But that does does, does not indicate that we've temporarily moved it. Okay, wait a minute. Who sinned today? Come on. (laughs) I'm going to take that as an affirmative. Everybody sinned today in one way, shape, form, or another. And so does that mean that you moved into, into darkness? No. No, of course not. Of course not. No, because we recognize that our hearts condemn us That's when right. we do things that are bad. That's right. And so in these verses, John does not threaten the church with the loss of their salvation because of this, because of their sin nature. They sin. Okay. There's, there's no losing of salvation or there's no belonging of the devil because you didn't. You know, you saw that person on the side of the road that was broke down and you had plenty of time on your hands and 50 bucks in your pocket and you didn't stop to help them. Hmm. That happened to me. Not today. (laughs) (laughs) I felt miserable too. (laughs) You moron. (laughs) Like two extra hours on my hand. And there they were, coming back from Santa Paula on Monday, and I didn't even stop to help. Sorry. Um, so anyway, um, uh, but but that doesn't that doesn't you know. So I'm not in the darkness by doing that, nor do I belong to the devil for that. So I think we're pretty clear on that, and I think that we have we, we're also assured of being children of God, aren't we? First John three two says what. Children of God. What is it? You're children of God. Oh, so it's a declarative statement, right? Doesn't it say something about? I don't have. Doesn't it say something like you know you are? What's the declaration there? See, there's this family resemblance. I, I, I like to think about it this way. There's this, there's this resemblance. And so if you belong to the devil, there's going to be a resemblance. 
And throughout Scripture, including this letter, throughout Scripture it says is that if you are if you are of God, if you are of Christ, if if you are living your life that way, then there will be a resemblance. I mean, what does Christian mean? Christ-like. Little Christ. Okay, Christ-like. What's the purpose of your life? One of them. To glorify God by being Christ-like. And today what? you can even put in there if you're following false gods or, or false teachings too. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of people now that say Christians Well, last week and the week before, uh, we were taking a look at, or not the week before, the four weeks before that when we were here last, um, we were taking a, 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 a look at uh, who Jesus is. And I always like to say the biblical Jesus because, I mean, you can ask somebody, uh, somebody says, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. And sometimes in today's culture, yeah. here anyway, you have to ask, which one? Which Jesus? Their buddy. Yeah. Yeah, their buddy or... But certainly, is it the biblical Jesus or the made-up one? Because there's a difference. There's whole movements that follow the made-up one. Okay? And they're in the darkness, according to John. So, we have this light and we have this darkness. We have this family resemblance of being of the devil or belonging to the devil or belonging to Christ or being in Christ, right? And so, there's this interesting contrast of being of the devil or being born of God. Why the distinction? <laughs> because it's the difference between light and dark. But why do you suppose this contrast, that there's a distinction between uh, being uh, belonging to the devil or being of the devil? Not born of. But clearly, Scripture says, being born of God. Why the distinction? What's the distinction? Because it's not a parallel. God created us and the devil can't create anything. Okay, God created us in his image. Okay. All right. What else? Well, it has to do with eternal destiny. Okay. I mean, if you're not of Christ, hmm. Either hope, there's no hope. Uh, say that again. It's either hope or no hope. Oh, another contrast. There's so hope. Like speaking, of being born again too. Hmm. Yeah. If we have the choice, we can be born again in Christ or. Amen. Born again. That comes with a new nature, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. We, we we know all about that. Now the first century church it was listening to this letter. Um, that's not what they're. That's not what they were thinking about. I'm sure. At the, no, I'm not sure. But maybe they weren't thinking about that at the at the moment because that wasn't the context of the letter. But this this distinction clearly exists. The cool thing is is that you see we get to choose, don't we? And that's exactly what John is talking about here. There were those that chose. They chose to be in the darkness. They chose not to accept what they had been taught from the beginning. They chose to believe a false or a teaching or a lie that had no credibility, no authority behind it. There was nothing behind it. And so, uh, and, and John is just contrasting that all the way through. So, how are we expected to deal then with those that are in the darkness? We have to love them. And if nothing else, use words. But live as an example. Mm-hmm. You know, and treat them as Christ would treat them. Okay. How's that? 
Who's the prince of the world? The prince of principalities. You see how all this ties together? And so uh, John is just laying it right out there. You know, it's, it's so great. It's so easy. It's so simple, really. I mean, there's light. There's dark. There's these, these contrasts. There's love. There's hate. Oh, you can't hate and be in the light. You can't do that. Okay? And you can't deny Christ either. And everything you do has to be based on some authority. So you better check out the authority. That's all he's saying. Just check out the authority. Is it hot in here? You know, if Tyler were here, he would be in control of that. But the guy in the back is not doing his job. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> See, so sin entered the world how? Well, sin entered the world. Really? Through Adam? He was yeah. used by the devil. Oh, okay. Just a huh? I'm putting it on the woman. Okay. okay. <laughs> Ernie's sleeping in the shed tonight. Um, Again. But, uh, uh, you know, so we see the, in these two verses here, seven and eight, you know, the gospel is, is, that's the gospel in these two verses, by the way. But sin entered the world. Through an act of sin. Through, through what? I mean, disobedience. Okay. And where did it come from? Was it from the devil? Huh? It was all here from the beginning. Was it? From the beginning. Okay, read that whole verse. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. And we're not going to go into that tonight. That would take a little time. But, but see, I love that because we, now we're confronted with that word beginning, aren't we? The beginning of what? Because who is Satan? Who is Satan? Okay, and Satan is, is, uh, is a created being. And who created him? And how did he originally create him? It's really interesting because that's a fascinating, it's a fascinating thought when we see that, well, Satan was sinning from the beginning because that's what it says in 1 John. But what's the beginning? Because did Satan always sin? No, but once people were on the earth, the beginning of mankind is when he started his work. Yes. That's, that's awesome. Now, we could do a study on that. It would take us all night. And it's fascinating because what we see is, is that when sin entered the world, it was brought in through Satan, who was sinning from the beginning of when God had created mankind. And they were tempted, and Satan was the one that delivered the goods. And they followed. It's fascinating because it's the same thing that was going on in this church that John is talking about. Sin entered this church. These people came in and taught false doctrine. It was sin. And some people followed. And John said, hey, they were never of us. They were of the dark. Would you read 
verses 9 and 10 now. Please. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Hmm. Okay, so the first part of that, that verse 9 says, no one who is born of God. Born, you might want to underline that. No one who is born of God. Okay. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Okay, let's reel ourselves back to the first century again. Sitting in the pew in the first century. I don't have the rest of the Bible to go back to. And like, I can't look at all of it because it's not all there yet. And I'm saying, okay, no one who was born of God will continue to sin. But man, I just blew right by that guy on the, on the highway, on the road to Santa Paula. Uh, and I, I had the time and the talent and the ability and everything to, to help. And I didn't. I chose not to because I... Cause I Chose not to, and um, so um, uh, I'm wondering. I wonder if I'm born of God. I mean, that's the first thought that I would have. Uh, just me. That's just me personally. Okay. Can you see this guy every week and blow by him every day? No. But, okay. So, but go, go back to verse six. Okay, we're right there. We're in First John chapter three. Go back to verse six. What does verse six say? No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Okay, now zoom ahead to something we haven't read yet, but John is going to say, because if we're going to read this letter, I don't know about you, but I like to read letters all the way through, and then I'll come back to it. You know, and i got to kind of pick it apart a little bit, you know, see what was really being said there, especially if it's a complicated letter. And so we go back to verse 6, and he kind of confirms what, what he's saying here in verse 9. But what does it say in verse or in the chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 18? Yeah, 5.18. We went back to kind of confirm what he's saying. What, what, what happens if we go forward? We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Over and over and over and over. I, I didn't count how many times it says it in this epistle, but there's three. And I know there's more than that. But there's, there's three right here in our face where he says that, okay, no, if you're born of God, you're not going to continue to sin. Driving the point home that, hey, these people were habitual sinners. They decided to sin. They were living in sin. They were doing what they wanted to do because they were denying Christ. The ultimate sin. Denying Christ. And he says, so no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. And he cannot go on sinning. Why? Because his heart will condemn him. Oh, okay, because he's got the he's got the power. And and what else do you have to have not to continue to sin? A conviction, the spirit and conviction. Bingo. There's the two. There's the two sixty-four thousand dollar words right there. So you are not going to continue to sin. He said, "Why? Because you got the power of the Holy Spirit. See, because why did Christ come?" To save us from what? Sin. Sin. It's all right there in front of them. And John says, he's just preaching the gospel. He's just reminding them what they were taught from the very beginning. That's all he's doing. And so with the conviction, I don't want to sin. So why am I willing to tell you that I blew right past that? It was a lady even. Now I'm really... Boy, now you're really... really Now I'm really feeling bad. My goodness. Yeah. (laughs) See, you won't do it again because... And it gets worse. She was sitting on the ground. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, but so so I have to I have to share that with you so that so that somebody like Ernie will ask me, have you done that again, knucklehead? <laughs> the, the point is, is that there's the power that we have and the conviction not to. Okay. But what he's talking about, those that are in the in the business of this perpetual sin, because they don't care, because they're in the darkness, they're not in the light, they're in sin and not righteousness, and they're hating. What well, John says, don't hate your brother. You're in the darkness. They're hating. They hated the church. That's why they left. The reason they hated is they left because they were unable to do what they wanted to in that place. They had to leave. Because whoever was preaching, I suppose, was sharing the truth. In powerful words, I might add. You're of the devil. Who wants to hear that? Nobody wants to hear it, but I'll tell you who especially doesn't want to hear it. The ones that are of the devil. That's the ones that don't want to hear it. You're judging them when you do that. So he says, so what does it mean to not do what is right? What is right then? Okay, he raised up a Bible. Christ commands. Okay. Okay. There's this interchangeability of these words in, in, in Scripture. Right is... Hmm? Okay, truth. Righteous. Righteousness. Righteousness. And and what is what is being righteous? Okay, following following God, following Jesus. See, conforming to that that had already been established. That's what John's telling them. Just conform to what we already told you is true. You already decided it was true. That stake was driven in the ground. Just keep doing that. The warning was there because there was this horrific teaching that was going on. And, and um, I mean, come on, let's admit it. We're like sheep. You could get sucked away quickly, can't you? Very subtly in churches today. If we haven't learned anything in North America about how subtle it is to get to get sucked into the darkness. I mean, we're talking about lukewarmness. We're talking about nominal Christians. We're talking about people that aren't committed. We're talking about... But that's happening, of course, has been happening for 2,000 years. Uh, we just happen to see it because this is where we live. This is where we live. Bill, but I wonder if John, in writing this letter, I know he wrote it to the church, but I wonder if he was also hoping that some of those that had been led astray might understand the errors of their ways and come back. Anybody, anybody hear that? Oh, that's just who he was through and through. And so, and so what's the practical application of that? Because you're absolutely right. You know John's heart. I mean, he, this is a shepherd. This is a pastor. This is a... This is, the, this is the apostle of love. I mean, he, he loved everybody and, and uh, you know, all the time. And why did he even write this letter and use these strong words? These are words of love. Some people would say they're, they're words of hate. But not John. Well, I'm sure there were still people in the congregation who knew those people who had left. And if they heard John, then they'd go to them and say, Hey, you know what John said? Hmm. You know what we heard this Sunday? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had they heard the Great Commission? Mm-hmm. 
That's why the world today don't want you using certain words when they're trying to uh, stop what you say in places. Yeah. Because they don't want to light you up. But I would submit to you it's not just today. No. It's been forever. Yeah. Especially as it relates to light and darkness. Mm -hmm. Especially as it relates to light and darkness. So, you know, we talk about political correctness, but they've had other terms for it in other cultures and other times over the last couple thousand years. Uh, but it's all been the same thing because there's nothing new under the sun, right? Well, I think John would probably have welcomed them back. We have the example of the prodigal son. And I think that's a classic example of father forgiving a son. He went his way, led astray somehow. Amen. Amen. So here we are. We're confronted with this thing about this this thing about righteousness, which is really conforming to what God has already told them. Okay. Just be righteous. The root word of righteous is right. It's it's not complicated. It's it's not difficult. It's not over our head. I lo that's why I love John, and especially his epistles, because um, it just he just brings it down to a level where I can understand it. He keeps it kind of simple. Like, that's, that's, and, and, you know, I think we need that sometimes. And that's what he does. So he leads us back to this whole thing in this whole letter, and it's about love, isn't it? In fact, we're about to see this whole next section here. We're going to see... Uh, what does it say? Is there a header in your in your Bible for this next section of Scripture? Love one another. Love one another. Yeah, they, they uh, you know that's not a biblical thing, but they put those they put those headers in there to give us an idea of what's coming up next. Um, and it's, it's so so this is about uh, there's, there's so much this letter is about love, right? Even though he's calling out those people and saying that they're of the devil and that they're in the darkness, it's still about love. The basis for the whole thing is love. John really gets that. Okay. And so, and so, and isn't that the relationship that we have with the Lord? What's there's, the basis of our relationship with the Lord? There's a big difference huh? in uh, sharing this stuff uh, in love, being right in love, rather than being right so you can pat yourself on the back. Okay, um, let's let's go there for just a second. So. Uh, we talked earlier about would you use this kind of language either inside the church or outside the church. There were some yeses and there's some and there's some noes, and there doesn't have to be a right or a wrong answer to that question. Um, but but uh, so so now we're talking about this letter being in the context of John. Just John loved the church. Of course, he really loved the Lord, and so here he is. And, and this this letter is uh, is about love and and his. His gospel is, I mean, it's just love, 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 all the way through, right? We, we, we get that. So that, that's where we come to. Um, it's, it's pretty simple, isn't it, to just love? <laughs> okay, so it's not. But John, in the context here, has just been talking about loving one another, especially in the community of believers. Because, you know, there's a priority to it. I'm reminded of that when we put these things together. Love God, love the church, love the community, and the world by serving. We show, we show love by serving one another. Okay? And so I think it's a great segue now because before we go into this next section where John sort of changes his tune just a little bit and he starts talking about love, 
Um, we, it, it, the fact is, is that, is that he, he, John is going to show us that there's really a test for love. There's a test of whether or not we're loving and walking in the light. There's a test. And we're going to see that. Because he uses these contrasts. Love and hate. Light and darkness. Sin and righteousness. Through and through this letter. But before we go there, I think we have to ask ourselves some questions about God's love. Like, what are some biblical truths about love? Because if it's about love, we better understand love, and we're not going to go into a study on love, but it's pretty important before we go into this next, next section that John talks about love, 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 loving one another, prioritizing that love, telling us how to do that love, and then showing us how to test whether or not we're loving. <coughs> And therefore in the light. Uh, what do we know about what do we know about God's love? What are just I mean just throw them out there, come on. If you've been in a church for more than fifteen minutes, you should know at least one thing. He sent his son to die for us. Okay, and what is that? That's love. That's love. Huh? The ultimate love. The ultimate love. Okay. And it's a command. Okay, there's a command to love. Love one another. Okay. Well, Okay, the the the, the agape love, which is the self-sacrificial love, right? Right. So we know that. God loved us first. And God loved us first, and Betty's hearing it is tweeting. Yes. But she can't hear me anyway, so it doesn't matter. Ah, <laughs> uh, you can. <laughs> Okay, so those are some things about about some love. I ran across this, and, I, and it really it really impacted me in my in my study recently. And it says, does does God love all of humanity? Yes. Even Judas, Hitler, ISIS. Because see, there's a challenge. There's a challenge. Because in the Old Testament, even in the Psalms, and I wrote some of them down, Psalm 5.5, 5, you hate all workers of iniquity. Psalm 7.11, God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 26.5, I have hated the assembly of evildoers. And then there are seven things that God hates. And he goes on to, to list them. God loved Saul, and look what Saul became. When he was Saul. Mm-hmm. He loved but he loved him when he was Saul also. Yeah, but I was wondering in terms of, of reconciling this thing and it, 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 just these psalms, just these psalms, because I could go farther if I wanted to. But just the psalms, you know, he's he hates the workers of inequity. He hates those people that are evil. He hates. Well, he says he's angry with the wicked every day, and he hated the assembly of the evil doers. The doers, the sin. He hates the sin, okay. not the sinner. You sure? Because clearly we see in First John, the next chapter 4, we're going to see John 4, 8, God is love. God is love. But true love, too, is unconditional. Okay. 
You don't do it expecting something bad. Okay, do you love people unconditionally? Some. <laughs> <laughs> Would it be harsh if I called you a liar? Somewhat. <laughs> 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 yeah, because I'm wondering, I, I, I try to I, I deal with that. You know, like, is it possible to love anybody unconditionally? Not like Christ. Yeah, no, I haven't figured out how to do that yet. I'm not going to tell you the percentile I feel I'm at, but I, I, I'm a long ways from, from doing that. But, but then you see God is love in, in 1 John 4, 8. And then, and then in the same Psalms, it says, Psalm 145, 9, you have to turn there. The Lord is good to all his mercies are over all his works. Everything. Jesus even commands us to love our enemies. We know that one, don't we? Check out the reason. Do you know why he calls us to love our enemies? Yeah. Matthew 5.45 says, In order that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So he calls us to love our enemies because, you see, he is over all. He's love over all. The clear implication here, of course, is that in some sense, God, God even loves you know, his, his enemies. And aren't we called to love as he does? Yeah. Because he loves both the evil and the good. The righteous and the unrighteous. See the contrast again? But he doesn't necessarily love the deeds of both of them. Doesn't say that, does it? No, just the Yeah. I, I like this part because we, we know that he tells us to love our neighbor. How are we supposed to love our neighbor? Christ Nope. That's how we're supposed to love our wives. How are we supposed to love our neighbor? As ourselves. As ourselves. <laughs> uh oh. That's harder. I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, i got to tell you, I love myself more than I am cared to tell you, actually, about. You know, I mean, if I judge it by how selfish I am. Seriously. Mark 12, 31. Even clear back in Leviticus. So the same Old Testament thing, you can't just drop the hammer, you can't just cut the cord between the Old and the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, God's talking about these things, about... You know, hating this and hating that, and then he also says in the in Leviticus in the Old Testament, he says that the, you know you got to love your neighbor as yourself, and then it's reiterated, of course, in Mark, to love your neighbor as yourself. So, yikes! But it's a commandment: love your neighbor as yourself. So I think we can be certain that the scope of that commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself. Is universal, huh? I think it's universal. That's what I'm thinking. Because do you remember when the question was asked, but who's my neighbor? <laughs> Anybody remember the answer? Yeah, he gave him the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. I love that. <laughs> Jesus is really smart. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> Here's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, on your way. Figure that one out. <laughs> that little hairy carry, you know. 
It's because it just applies to everyone. And the, 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 the love that we're commanded to is universal, and it's a godly love, isn't it? Yes, you do apply as I go by. <laughs> yeah, well, there comes the conviction. You know? Would I have been justified if I was running late for a meeting? No. <laughs> Shut up, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that we then have to consider that um, who perfectly fulfilled this, this love thing? Jesus. How? How? Okay. And so, um, I, I love Matthew 5, 17 and 18. I, I, I wrote it down here. Matthew 5, 17 and 18 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Who's speaking? Jesus. Jesus. Okay. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Whoa. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter or the, that's the dot and tittle thing, right? Not the smallest letter or the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. It's this perfect love. Included in that command is that universalness of, of love. Everyone, all the time. So there's a couple questions. So if we have Jesus... Jesus on the earth, man, sinless, fully man, can we imagine that Jesus as perfect sinless man loves those who Jesus as God does not love? Get the question? Do we imagine, think about this now, do we imagine Jesus, as perfect sinless man, loves those whom Jesus as God does not love? No, because Jesus as God loves everybody. Yeah, Jesus just represents God. He is God embodied. So if God loves everybody okay. yeah, in a caring way, then Jesus. Uh, people are going to hell. I'm just wondering if, 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 if Jesus, if, if he loved all of humanity during his during his ministry on earth. He demonstrated that, right? We've, we've established that. We've said that. That's what scripture teaches. And that's what John was telling them in this letter. And so he said, um, so Jesus loved everybody universally during his ministry on earth. Uh, but people are going to hell. Then would he revert then after his ascension into heaven to to hatred of some kind? No, no, no. That's not his nature. Yeah, because nowhere in Scripture will we find that to be the case. No. Nowhere. 
And yet what was interesting in, in the first century, these people were in church and they were teaching that Jesus wasn't the Christ and that he was not God and that they were just going to go ahead and do whatever they wanted to do in the flesh because of that, because it was only the spirit that mattered, not the flesh. And nowhere woven through that is love. And it's still so safe today. Yeah. But you see the selfishness of that? And not the love of it. It's interesting. You see, all that would just be unthinkable because, it, I mean, in Hebrews 13, 8, it says Jesus Christ is the same. Today. Yesterday. Today. today forever. forever. You see, it's not, it's not interchangeable or changeable. It's... What is it, Betty? Um, you got it. It's right there. It's on the immutable. immutable. Perfect. God. That's an attribute of God. Jesus is God. Jesus loved his neighbors, right? Even the ones who rejected him, right? Yeah. Jesus was a friend to sinners, huh? He hung out with them. I love that. Somebody asked me a while back. Should I be hanging out with people that aren't, that aren't saved? Are you kidding me? Seek them out. Don't just hang out with them. Seek them out. Seek them out. Jesus loved his enemies. All of them. Yeah. You and me. We were enemies. See, we can't miss that. This is about the character of Christ, and that's what this letter really is. It's about the character and the attributes of God that we've looked at recently. So God is love. So what happens if we're wrestling with loving the unlovable? <laughs> really? What can you do if you're wrestling with trying to love somebody that's unlovable? Pray. <laughs> That's the first thing. Ask for the Lord's help. Tyler's not here tonight, but I know he would allow me if I asked him to for permission to, to tell me about. This was recently. You know, Tyler's a cop. He's been a cop his whole life. He's going to retire as a cop. And when he's done at being a cop, he's still going to be a cop. You know, I'm sure he's going to carry his badge and his gun until he's until he's. Uh, until Jesus comes. I, that's, he's a cop through and through. He, he thinks about protecting people. He's got a heart this big. He loves the Lord. He sits back there and it's about, it's about loving Jesus and protecting the flock. I, I love this guy. And yet, because he deals with, you hear him joke, and, he, and he'll joke about a class of people that we have around us that we're called to love. He calls them hobos. Hobos. Yeah. Remember, the, we used to call them hobos. They had the bandana bag on the stick yeah. and they jumped on freight trains. Okay, That's what comes to my mind when I think of a hobo. In his mind, in his world, because he deals with them day in and day out in his work, they're, they're hobos because they have... You know, they have addiction problems and they have, you know, they have mental health issues and they have all these things. And he calls them hobos and he has to joke about it just a little bit because he struggles with it. It's a hard issue with him and he'll admit it. He would stand right up here and admit it. And so when was it? A couple of weeks ago when we did the, the homeless shelter, he said, I need to be on my knees and change my mind about these people. 
And his heart ran because day in and day out he has to deal with them. And so two weeks ago he went in there to the homeless shelter. And he's serving them, and he's coming out here, and he's talking to the guys. They haven't had their TV shots, you know. And he comes out, and he's and he's he's making the effort. And you can see that he's he's like 20% in, you know. Why? Because he, he he made the choice. He was making the choice. Wait a minute. Jesus loved me. Why in the world am I not completely sold out and loving everybody else? And it's his struggle because they're unlovable, aren't they? They come drunk. He deals with them when they're on drugs. That's his world. Every day. He has to deal with that. And it's a struggle for him. And he struggles with those that are unlovable. It's really easy to deal with the ones that are lovable. So if you're harboring hatred for anyone in the fellowship of believers, what does John say? Hmm? It's murder. Murder. And which camp are you in? Darkness. The darkness. I don't know, church. It seems to me that that's a that's a powerful truth, and that we have to ask ourselves some pretty hard questions because who's in the fellowship of believers? Careful what you say, because do you know? I think about this in terms of just the I like I like apologetics. I, I, I like to defend the faith. I like to I like to read people uh, that that wouldn't subscribe uh, to a biblical worldview. And some of them are very easy to say. I can discount them, and they're in the darkness. Others, I don't know. Who are we called to love? All of them. That's a hard one. Because I can sit right here right now and and declare to you that y'all are easy to love. (laughs) I mean, easy. Others? Not so much. So what's our attitude about that? Because if we're harboring hatred for any of them, according to John. Any of them. We are not (coughs) Christ-like. And we are not glorifying God. Amen? We also have to be careful that uh, we're not doing it in private. (coughs) I would say... We could show that we're loving people, but in private we're We're going to take a look at that next week as we take a look at this next section where John talks about what's the heading? Love one another. Love one another. And so we're going to take a look at that because one of the things that we have to consider, and we're going to close with this, one of the things that we have to consider is if the case is is that you're struggling loving people outside of the church or maybe people in other churches that you don't agree with. Uh Uh-oh. I like personalizing it that way. Maybe it's people that are in other churches that you don't agree with. If you're harboring any hate there, I wonder if it's just full on a pride issue. Which I think John is trying to get at here. 
But where does it come from? Heart. Is it a pride issue? Because if it's a pride issue, my guess is, is that if we're harboring hate against anyone, not disagreement, you can disagree. You can disagree. But be careful of the fine line that John's talking about here going over to hate because he says if you hate your brother, who's your brother, who's your neighbor? Answer those questions first. If you're harboring that, it may be a pride issue that's even hindering your relationship with the Lord. So if you're struggling in your relationship with the Lord in any way, shape, or form, you might want to ask yourself if you're harboring any of these things. If it's gone from disagreement to hate, there might be a problem. Because we are commanded... To love our neighbors as ourselves. So as we as we leave tonight, before we go into this next these next passages in First John three eleven through twenty four, and John has a lot to say about love, and we have to ask and answer some pretty important questions. And if you want some homework, just read this next section of scripture, just those few verses eleven through twenty four. But we ought to be going home tonight, I think. Asking the Lord to show us, Lord, have I taken any of my disagreements to the next level? And maybe done it, as Steve said, maybe just done it quietly. I don't associate with people that are unlovable. And I don't associate people that I disagree with. But have I crossed the line? Because I wonder in the first century if that's what they were doing. I wonder that the people that this letter was written to specifically, John uses powerful words and powerful language. I wonder if those that had left, the ones that were still here, I wonder if they were harboring hatred or if they still loved them. Because you see, it got personal. The same personal love that Jesus has for us. Not had, 